Welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I'm joined by a lovely co-host and Scooby, freelance writer, Philip Ellis. Hi. Hi. How are you doing, my love? I am very, very good, thank you. I've had a wonderful time preparing for this episode. Uh, do you want to tell everybody what we're doing today? Um, yeah, today we're discussing the iconic 90s movie, Cruel Intentions. Oh, yes. <laughs> and rewatching this was a delight. I wanted to, like, screen cap and, like, gif, like, everything Sarah Michelle Gellar said. <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah, this has just been a fabulous, um, a fabulous excuse to revisit that film, which was formative for me in, in so many ways. Um, and joining us uh, today to to really do a, a deep dive on this film, we have got writer and general funny person Alex Bedder. Hey. Hi. Hi. And we have writer, comedian, and former member of a band called The Spice Girls, Ryan Houlihan. Hi. It's nice of your life. <laughs> they wrote those intros themselves, I just want you to say. Listen, I'm a journalist and fact-checking is important to me. <laughs> so today we are here to discuss Cruel Intentions. Um, I A fun fact about the movie that I read on IMDb is that it's only... They only shot for 15 days, which seems really short, doesn't it? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it was 15, 15 days over the course of six weeks. I did, think, I did think about it when I was watching it that there's very limited locations. So that really probably helped with the music budget, which was probably yeah. insane. I That's funny. I specifically read about they had to pay so much money for Bittersweet Symphony because the Rolling Stones own the rights to it because they like sample oh, wow. a part of a Rolling Stones song. And how, like, the production company kept saying, no, we're not paying for that song. But, like, eventually they got it. And thank God they did. And Christine Baranski only shot for three days. (laughs) Of course she did. She was like, uh, Labor Day weekend? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But she made those days count. She did. She did. She did great work. (laughs) She's a professional. (laughs) So the movie opens with Ryan Felipe and Susie Kurtz um, kind of, like, out acting each other in the scene. And I love it. Uh, I feel like a lot of the scenes in the movie are like this. I don't know. What'd you all think? I mean, I'm not going to stand for this Tara Reid erasure. (laughs) Her best role. (laughs) Old 20 seconds of it. What do you think, mom? (laughs) Nudie pics, mom. What do you think? Cut your psychobabble bullshit, mom. (laughs) That's maybe one of my favorite lines in this film. Cut your psychobabble bullshit, mom. She might be the only person in the film actually just playing herself. (laughs) Was this around the same time that the American Pie movies were huge? And they were like, can we get someone from those films just for like a five minute shoot? I I think it might have been right before them. Like, I don't remember her being famous when this came out. Let's see. American Pie was July of 99 and Cruel Intentions was... Oh my God, if it ever works. March. So I guess she wouldn't have been been famous yet. movie, right? Yeah, it might have been. Which is... Was this before The Big Lebowski? Oh no, you're right. Oh, yeah. But she wasn't really famous, like, right? She was like, yeah, Big Lebowski came out in 98. But she was so bit in that that, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, the casting for this movie. So this movie gave us Tara Reid. Yeah, it gave us Tara Reid, Selma Blair, Reese Witherspoon. Like, oh, the breakout yeah. performances in this film. <laughs> the implications that I has. I truly feel like just you saying that, Sarah Marshall Geller got a nosebleed somewhere. <laughs> well, she was already a star at that point. That was the whole point, right? She, was, she yeah. was playing against type. She was America's sweetheart and she was playing the bad girl, which is just like, yeah, yeah we'll get into how much I have love for that. So also, the one thing that like really doesn't hold up is that like Sebastian isn't just like 
oh, he's like this woman. He's like a like like he should go to jail for what he did to Tara Reid, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like he's like a he's like a college swim team like yeah. arrest him level. <laughs> I, I did put that on my note on, in my notes. I was like, what he did is illegal now. Yes, like he like, could go to prison. That's yeah. technically revenge porn, and yeah, uh, yeah it's just like. Oh, the, yeah, there were a few moments in the film where, like, just, like, the dodgy politics of the time or, like, they're, they're trying to push the envelope with certain things and it just comes across as, like, oh, no, like, you are all, like... Oh, it was, yeah. sort of, it, was like... Playfully, it was, like, playfully evil at the time and looking back in 2019, you're like, oh, baby, no. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, no, they were, like, villains. I, like, kept thinking, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this movie would never be made today. Like, I yeah. I, I cannot see, like a, like, a major film studio, like, releasing this kind of film. Um, especially yeah, no. when half of it half of it revolves around Ryan Philippe basically like seducing slash molesting a girl who clearly has learning difficulties like Cecile has diminished capacity if you watch that film now she is they, they've written her to be childish and naive but no I think she's just like I, I had that <laughs> One, I, I, I did say halfway through the movie, is this the Tinsley Mortimer origin story? Because Cecile <laughs> reminds me of Tinsley Mortimer so much. Um, and two, I think I would love to have been in the room for the pitch of this movie because for the 90s, I mean, it's a movie with a bet. It's a movie based on like literature. It's a movie starring a bunch of people who appeared in other like WB or yeah. um, like iconic teen roles all like put together with edgy like mtv soundtrack and then they were like and you know what let's throw a little of the craft in there for style reasons <laughs> and you know that that's how it got pitched but the fact that what came out of it is so much more than the sum of its parts and also in some ways so much less politically, <laughs> um, <laughs> is incredible <laughs> that's really accurate was this like the peak era i'm curious of like the teen films based on like classic literature so yeah, it was, I think, uh, Clueless was 95, I think, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You was 98 or 99, um, and then we had, like, Get Over It, uh, which was, like, early noughties, and then there was the Freddie Prince Jr. one, what was that? She's All That. She's All That. Yeah. Uh, Wait, what so was Get was Over It? Coming, that was the one, it was Kristen, uh, oh god, what's her name? The, uh, oh, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten, and, Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst, yeah. Um, and and it was Cisco's based on in Mid that, right? Yes, and it was, it was based on Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, I didn't know that. I had never seen that it's one. It's one That's of the like... lesser known ones just because it's like one of the lesser known like teen films of that period. Right. What was the one? Oh, that was based on Othello. Yes. Uh, Mickey Pfeiffer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I at one point had on a UMD desk and watched on my PSP. That's a lot of words <laughs> that a lot of people just won't understand listening to this. <laughs> You're yeah. dating yourself, honey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm outing myself as not really 28, but it's fine. That's like every time a guest, I have a guest on, and they're like, well, I started watching Buffy, and I was five, and I'm like, you're what? <laughs> like, get get off of this. Yeah, like, you're gone. <laughs> what I'm saying was, like, we're at the peak of this moment, and then this opening scene is interesting to me, because having Susie Kurtz be in, in it, like, so briefly, it's like a cameo, but then looking into it, I was like, oh yeah, she was in Dangerous oh, Liaisons. In like oh, that makes sense. So she's like this, like, kind of winking, mm -hmm. actually, cameo that kind of connects Cruel Intentions back to its, like, original source material. Well, you know, Glenn Close definitely got, like, a You've Got Mail notification. It was like, no, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> movie to do. <laughs> Can you imagine, how, like, could that, could, could the gays stand it if Glenn Close had been in this film? 
No. no, it, no. Was, it would be too much. It would be just too much. Yeah. She was already, this was probably the period where she was, like, performing at the height of camp when she was in, like, 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. Well, yeah. the height of camp was truly 102 Dalmatians. Oh, my God! <laughs> I forgot there was a sequel. So, so Susie Kurtz, you know, is pounding on the glass, calling Sebastian a little shit, and it's perfect. Oh, and that smile um, that he gives her, that devilish smile, that shit-eating grin. Yeah. I mean, when she writes down, charge for book with a money sign in the <laughs> there are so many great little details like that scattered in the film that you only really do appreciate when you're kind of revisiting it yeah the script is perfect yeah yeah and and he i i didn't put this into my notes but i read somewhere that he wrote the script like in 10 days that's right like the guy who wrote the script which is insane that's like didn't lady gaga write bad romance in an hour <laughs> fair <laughs> i appreciate that at least she's kind of an asshole too so it's like but i mean he what he does is still like fucking terrible um i feel like that's that's the parts where this movie maybe falls a little flat rewatching it in 2019 where it's like but am i supposed to feel bad for him like because eh, i don't um i mean my immediate reaction was like she did nothing to him like yeah. overcharging you're in a manhattan psychologist yeah. like <laughs> i don't know what you expected <laughs> and also the, the the more the film goes on you're like the, the more you think no he really should be in therapy and not just yeah. like as a grift like boy needs help oh yeah. oh yeah. for sure sebastian, like he he uh, like he should be paying that money sebastian walks so chuck bass could run and <laughs> oh, you, now we said it. Both are complete like sociopaths. Like, that's, yeah. Well, he definitely has like a personality disorder, and I really wanted him to have his like Rebecca Bunch makeover over the course of the movie. But also, I mean, we'll get there. But I also don't totally buy his like transformation in two days. Like, I'm like, it, this might just be like a manic episode. Like, he needs to get on an antidepressant and start going to group. Like, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Because I think it was at some point in the film, um, Catherine does say like, oh, it's been a matter of days. And you're like, oh, I, I, I think I always assumed that it took place over an entire summer. But yeah. it is, like, it is yeah. like, it's a week. Yeah. Yeah. They're like about to start school. And in yeah, yeah two days, he decides, oh, I shouldn't be such an asshole. Um He's like, my frontal lobe works. I feel for people. <laughs> so after that opening, then we get uh, Selma Blair, Christine Baranci, and Sarah Michelle Gellar all in a scene together doing the absolute most. And it is 100% gay rights. And we're going to do a live reading of that scene because why the fuck not? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> upon the request of Ryan, I will be playing Cecile. <laughs> perfect, perfect. When it's right, it's right. Philip will be playing Sebastian. I'm Catherine and Alex is Mrs. Caldwell. Um, Alex, would you like to start us off? Sure. I can't tell you how happy we are that Cecile is going to be attending Oakwood with you this fall. You've always been an inspiration to Bo and I on raising her. We just hope she can rise to the high standards which you've set for her. I'll do my best. Catherine is a straight-A student at Oakwood, as well as being president of the French club. Listen to whatever she has to say and you'll go far. You're too kind. How do you do it? I mean, with all the peer pressuring that goes on in high school, where do you get your strength? I know this sounds corny, but whenever I feel temptations of peer pressure, I turn to God and he helps me through the problem. Call me an anachronism, but it works. That's beautiful. What are the boys like? <laughs> Cecile, is that the best you can do? 
You must forgive her, Catherine. She's never been in a co-educational atmosphere before. Don't worry, it's totally understandable. Most of the boys that matriculate at Oakwood are very upstanding gentlemen. However, there are the occasional bad apples. Like your stepbrother, Sebastian. (laughs) I can't believe they didn't expel him after what he did to the school nurse. I hear she's recovering quite well. Nice to see you again, Mrs. Caldwell. You remember my daughter, Cecile? My, what an adorable shirt you're wearing. My father took me on a trip to Australia. How are things down under? Blossoming, I hope. Cecile's attending Oakwood in the fall. Outstanding. What year are you in? I'm what you would call a fifth-year senior. But I thought high school is only four years. It is, unless you're a fuck-up like myself. I think we'll be going now. Thanks for all your help. I'll call you later and we'll get together to plan your curriculum. Thanks. Nice meeting you. Ciao. Cecile, let's go. Now. Do you care to tell me what Mrs. White Trash and her stupid daughter are doing in my house? I'm just taking the poor girl under my wing. The parental units called while you were out. Lovely. How is your gold-digging whore of a mother enjoying barley? Zipping through my inheritance per usual? Hopefully, though she suspects that your decrepit alcoholic father is diddling the maid. What's going on with you today? Therapy not going well? It was fine. I'm sick of sleeping with these insipid Manhattan debutantes. Nothing shocks them anymore. I'm beginning to feel like I'm losing my touch. Poor baby. Well, you can relax. I have a mission for you. What? A plus, a plus all around. <laughs> I love that your Christine Baranski um, is 100% accurate, but also a little Samantha from Sex. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I was I thinking was Lady Brackhill. <laughs> Halfway into it, I was like, oh, I'm just doing Kim Cattrall. Like, That's fine. Great. Kim Cattrall's just doing Christine Baranski. <laughs> it's like Christine Baranski, Kim Cattrall, Billy Zane. All went to the same. <laughs> all went to the same training program because it's the exact uh, same reflection. Amazing! The '90s were incredible. <laughs> it's very like Dorit from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It's like that little like I'm a student of the world kind of like <laughs> pronunciation. It's like not. It, it's like Mid Atlantic yes. or like Trans Atlantic. Yes. It's also like almost Jenna Maroney, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. I went to the Tampa School of Dramatic Change. <laughs> Which, if they remade, if they remade this movie today, Jane Krakowski would be playing the Christine Bransky role. Oh, and she would kill it. Yes. Like. <laughs> so I feel like everyone's everyone's doing so much in that scene, and I love all of it. Um, but I want to like SMG is like doing some good work, right? Because she's playing, she's playing pretend. She's like playing a character that's pretending in front of the other two characters, and then switches over to like shithead rich person immediately when Christine Baranski and Selma Blair leave. Um, And the IMDb fun fact about this scene is that the way they got Christine Baranski to do this film, even though she only shot for three days, was that her daughters were in love with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and were like excited that she would work with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Wow. Listen, it's not a shock that the whole Baranski family has excellent taste. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but I love I love the idea of like Christine Marisky being like, oh no, I'm not doing that. Oh, well, my kids really like Sarah Michelle Gellar, so sure. <laughs> but three days, that's it. <laughs> so 
I also feel like, um, I don't know about you guys, but I sure read a lot of fan fiction about this movie in particular um, on the internet in like 1999. Uh, and I feel like a lot of um, current porn writers, they're like, they were like, oh, wait, people might think this is sexy. And we're like, great, we got it. <laughs> With like step siblings, you know, giving each other fake hand jobs. Well, I like that they were like at balls out with the homophobia and racism, but they were like, well, they can't actually be related. That would be incest. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's wrong. That's the line. <laughs> also, later on in that scene, Sam Richard Geller, I think it might be like they cut and then they go back to them, but Sam Richard Geller says to him, like, what a line. She says, You're Captain Picard, boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like. She makes a lot of little pop culture references, and I don't know, I, I mean, I guess as a teenager at the time, they're in character, but the contrast with, like, the, uh, like, completely lush, super rich, old money, like, wood paneling decor, and then, like, silly rabbit, tricks yeah. the kids or whatever, is, like, a little, um, <laughs> but I guess as a teenager playing older, it is completely within character to make those references. But would yeah, Catherine so. be, like with Star Trek The Next Generation or would she think that shit is for geeks the way that uh, Sebastian thinks that email is for nerds and pedophiles? <laughs> um, maybe. I, I like to think that Catherine um, has a secret like like if, if nowadays Catherine would be watching a lot of Netflix in her free time just to get like evil ideas. <laughs> <laughs> While she's scheming just being like hmm. <laughs> watching you being like that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Those Romulans made some good points. <laughs> <laughs> but also you know she says Trevor's a fag so casually. And then she says um, queer like five seconds later and I physically Yeah she says <laughs> Oh, gee, your journal. Could you be more queer? <laughs> you know, I, she's making out with women in Central right? Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, female sexuality, male gaze, all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I mean, I said this before we started recording. I literally screenshotted her saying Trevor's a fag so I could block out Trevor and put my name over it. That way it could be like, SMG called me a fag, and I loved it. Well, listen, Sarah Michelle Geller can say fag, but Catherine can't. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you just know that these days Catherine is married to a Republican senator. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Um, did any of you watch the, like, pilot that never got picked up? I couldn't bring myself to, just because, like, the pain of what could have been, and just to give me a taste uh, and then rip it away, I, I couldn't deal with that. I, I watched all of her scenes. I'm confused by this. So the pilot is so that's different. The pilot is different from Cruel Intentions too. Correct. Which there was, a, there was, was a also pilot. supposed to be a TV pilot. Right. There they released a, they did a pilot I think like a year or two ago that like Sam Richard Geller's in where she plays Catherine like now at the age that she is now Wait, and Ryan Phillippe. Yeah. Oh my. And it's oh, like, I did not know about this. Yeah, and it's like, I think it's Ryan Felipe had a son that, like, he didn't know about. Like, a girl got pregnant in high school or something. And it's, like, his son coming back to, like, the family whatever. And, like, he meets with Sarah Michelle Geller. Ryan Felipe has a cameo in a dream. Um, oh, wow. It's, yeah, and it's written by the guy that wrote the first movie. The, the, this, this is the true, this is the true cruelty is telling me all of this. And <laughs> Are you kidding? Um, I, I think... I think Sam Richard Geller was probably so excited that she was asking to revisit something that wasn't Buffy. She was like, yeah. yes, absolutely, I will do it. <laughs> I, I mean, I will pause for a second and say that 
maybe Catherine's a Republican when it comes to the voting booth, but she totally strikes me as like uh like a neo lib who like says all the right things on Twitter, but secretly yes. is like is like super transphobic and like homophobic and racist. But, like oh, we'll go to the gay sure. bar and do coke in the bathroom with a bunch of fags, but like oh, totally. then later we'll vote against them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's a real housewife. Uh, <laughs> yes. She's, oh she's my like, god. You know, Bethany Frankel or <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a cocaine joke. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's a cocaine joke. Jesus Christ. Um, Also, her in that outfit is absolutely iconic, right? The like, I don't even know what's going on. It's like a corset and then there's like the bra top or maybe it's attached to the corset. I couldn't quite tell. But it's very like of the time where it's like, here's just some lingerie as an actual outfit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and feel it, like the costume designer was like, what if you were had to go to a business meeting, but like maybe you would fuck during it? Yeah. <laughs> I did get real like Madonna vibes from it, especially like the minute that Miss uh, Mrs. Coldwell and Cecily leave, she unbuttons the blazer and shows the bustier underneath. And like that's where she gets the cocaine out. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, it, business is over. Now it's time to party. And it's just like, this is like, she's, you know, it's like she's taking her panties off. She's like, oh, finally, I can see. <laughs> I don't know if it was the finally same for y'all, but like, I, I had the experience like this was like a very formative film for me in like many ways and like oh, yeah. it recently was quite the trip because I was like oh wow why why did anyone allow this to be formative <laughs> um, but <laughs> the uh, the interesting thing is like fashion wise it was okay when I was in college and like going out to bars like in Manhattan like I would sometimes like if it was like a party with like a look kind of thing if it was like a look party like I would usually dress like Catherine. Like I would wear like a blazer. I had a crucifix. Like, and it used to be like a, like kind of like a club look for me. Like there was, and then rewatching this film, I was like, oh my God, even though I think my style has maybe like, you know, moved a little bit more towards like the Reese Witherspoon end of the spectrum here. Like, um, there's so many looks in this film that I was like, oh, oh my God. Yes. Yes. Like, I remember this. I remember like being obsessed with how um, I think we're, we're going to talk about looks later, right? Specifically. Yeah. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage, Catherine Mortel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had some thoughts about like the looks in the film, just like, and, and costuming as storytelling as well. Um, the way that like, you've got like Reese with the spoon, she's introduced wearing white because of course. Um, and then, what I loved is throughout the movie, Sarah Michelle Gellar is dressed as this very adult, very vampy, you know, Manhattan sophisticate. And then the ending of the movie where she gets her dressing down, she's dressed like a little girl in that very infantilizing oh, yeah. school girl outfit. And I just love that they were like, they, yeah, they, they kind of, they show and tell you with, with what everyone's wearing in these, in sort of as the, the plot progresses. Oh, this yeah. was also one of the the uh, notable appearances in, on film of a turtleneck in which we all got convinced that we would look good in turtlenecks and like ends up no, only like beautiful, stunning people can pull off a turtleneck. Excuse I definitely me, bought I look, one. I look, I'm wearing a turtleneck right now. Well, that's just stable all for beautiful me. and stunning. <laughs> <laughs> I bought one and like put it on and quickly realized this isn't the look <laughs> for me. You need like a chin. But <laughs> also. <laughs> I mean, looking back at it, like, Ryan Philippi, I mean, he's a beautiful, like, actor in this film. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to the pool scene later. But what kind of teenager walks around wearing a suit and those, like, little yeah. glasses? He looks like such a fucking nerd. He looks like he's, like, Angel if Angel, like, was 
also like going to business meetings because he has like like when he's hit by that cab at the end i realized he was wearing like a long flowy black jacket oh yeah it was like a real sort of spike angel like duster thing yeah yeah i mean i was saying that this is very much like twilight for adults before twilight and then i was like but that's 50 shades of gray and then i was like but this is even more honest because if 50 shades of gray was honest there'd be so much cocaine (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's extremely twilight like he's super pale and he's like spying at her from like his cloakroom with Catherine, and like and like uh, annette is like in the park and all white like i just love the sunlight and he's like (laughs) And, and then they like talk and it's like she's like crying and he's like he's like i've been i i've lived so many lives and so many young girls like oh, oh it's very twilight <laughs> yeah he never he never really like even though even when he's owning up later on he's never like oh by the way i, I was just like a total predator like i pro- i should probably be in prison yeah 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 <laughs> um well then i wanted to move on to uh selma blair's scene with ronald um, Dr. King is my favorite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, there is like, I, Philip and I were talking about this before we got started, but like, there are so many good lines in this movie. Like, everything I was like, oh, this line, oh, this line. Like, uh, everyone, and everyone's, I feel like they're all pretty self aware of what movie they're in, oh, don't you? I feel like everyone's like very much like vamping it up. Like, they, they know it's like, yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone really thought, um, they knew the the kind of film that they were making yeah um and i feel like they're all just like having fun with it i actually really liked joshua jackson as sebastian's like gay friend blaine oh Um, yeah i thought he i was like uh like i remember back then being like oh his character's like a little too like it's like a stereotype but like now i'm like yes which it absolutely yeah it absolutely is i mean but some stereotypes are true Oh, oh, for sure. Um, I, what I love about what I what I think redeems the character for me is when he goes along with Sebastian's scheme to blackmail this football player into um, buttering up a net, um, because he sort of implies that this is the one that's been bad mouthing him, and then he's like, "Oh, actually, no. Now come to think of it, I, it might not have been him." And he's just, he's just this like glorious agent of chaos. Like he just wanted that Daniel Mead dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't give a shit either way he was just he was just a lot he was just down he was just there for the drama and that is a stereotype that is true (laughs) well i mean i'm sitting there and i'm like okay so it's this like kid in new york city with a pile of weed who's lightened his hair and is filing his nails and doing whatever to get that dick and i was like who does this remind me of Um, everyone listening ryan has bleach blonde hair (laughs) (laughs) um yeah really a moment a beautiful moment um I will say uh, when it, when that scene came up, when like he is fucking the football player or whatever, I was like, oh, wait, this is bookended by the Ryan Felipe ass scene. And I definitely jerked off to this 10 minute stretch so many times Ryan. with like a library rented DVD. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> well, well, while we're um, oversharing, I feel seen. while we're oversharing, I actually I specifically remember reading very sexy fan fiction based on this scene where it's like oh to get god what the hell oh blaine to get blaine to go along with his plan sebastian has to like have sex with him um Uh 
And oh boy. And I, and I remember that hearing that it was, there was a deleted scene where that's like implied that it happens because like also that fits with Sebastian, right? He would totally do that. Like be like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Like you want me to stick my dick in you? I will. Fine. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in the, in, in the non-existent 2019 reboot of this that I'm writing in my head, he is absolutely bisexual. Yeah. Like absolutely. Yeah. Um, then we get the very iconic scene in Central Park. And the strand of spit that launched a thousand sexual awakenings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, which was, which, which that scene and the scene where she is like in her beautiful bedroom, um, the, both of those scenes make me immediately think of not another teen movie where they yes. perfectly send both of those up. Oh God. I, when it's like, Ooh, but you're my sister. And she's like, only by blood. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> I want to fuck my brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Mia Kirshner is so, so good playing that twisted, twisted. And girl. have you ever eaten pussy before? Like, that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got, like, globs of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what this makes me think of. Um, IMDb, fun fact. Entertainment Weekly ranked this number 32 on their 50 sexiest. Uh, the kissing scene is number two of 50 sexiest movie moments ever. In twenty in this, eight. I I just remember that year, and I, I'm dating myself now. But that I remember very clearly that winning the yes. MTV Movie Awards Best Kiss. Oh yeah, and then they and Selma and Sarah had like a little peck on stage as they accepted it, yep. and it was just like, oh, I felt I was like, oh, at the Allies. I, well, listen, Madonna's got to get her ideas from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that Madonna got her whole Catholic uh, imagery and blazers uh, from from Catherine? No, I'm saying that Madonna, Madonna saw that, said, mm, similar. Who could I get to kiss me on stage at an MTV Awards show? I'm like, young thing who I'll turn out into some kind of sex monster. Hmm, who could I get in a Catholic schoolgirl costume to kiss on stage? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the conspiracy theory writes itself um. um also talking of that like the like spittle and the like imdb trivia it said that i actually read this on a couple of places that that happened by accident and then the director thought that looked really good so he made them like redo it with more spit <laughs> He was like, oh, I'm going to wave some chicken under your nose. Do the scene again moment. <laughs> Honestly, the more like I've rewatched this film and the more I hear about it today, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. This, this is the thing. Like, what, watching it as a grown up, I'm like, there is actually everything that I thought was sexy about this when I was 13 is really not. <laughs> it's kind of either gross or there's like some consent issues, or it's just really racist. <laughs> like there's a, but like <laughs> apart from basically the Ryan Philippe butt, everything else is problematic AF. But like Ryan said earlier, but then they weirdly draw attention to it. Like the the movie knows that those problems are there even back then, which is so weird. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird thing is that they actually are in the plot itself is not super homophobic. The plot itself is actually fairly inclusive because it has a bunch of different queer elements that aren't like, I mean, they're definitely shamed and he manipulates him by being like, I'll as blackmail coming out stuff. Right. But there is a sense of like, they're using them as queerness as a mechanic without like prejudice against it. But then they use the racism, but they very explicitly make the racism look bad. And then they have a giant moment of like the black man is gone where they're like, okay, so we fixed the fact that we're definitely going to come off as racist. 
this. But then they don't feel the need to do that with the homophobia. In fact, they like double down on it. It's just very weird what they apologize for in the movie and I think, don't. Yeah, it's a bit like um like you, like Catherine has this mute Vietnamese servant who just follows her around. Yeah. And she like breaks shit and then blames her. Which I've ne- I've never noticed that a bit before, where she just like knocks something off the shelf like a cat just to get someone's attention, yeah. and she blames her maid. Um, it's like why is her maid out with her? Oh yeah, is, did like... you get the sense that the maid is smiling at her like she's in on it? That's what because I, I was thought, like. Yeah. I think Mei Lee is totally like she was like Mei Lee was picked specifically for her own villainous deeds, and <laughs> Catherine was like a uh, total recruitment moment. <laughs> Maybe there's a whole other film happening behind the scenes where it's like the favorite, but with Catherine and the hell. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so what I'm thinking is for the 2019 reboot, we do a cinematic universe. Everyone in this universe <laughs> is fucking and evil. <laughs> <laughs> and Sebastian and Catherine are blood related. <laughs> we can call it. We can call it Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say like overall, the impression I got of it was like, oh, this movie is intended to be satire, but right, it's now dated. Like it's dated satire. Yeah. It's like it, it. It's not as forward thinking as it thought it was. Um and especially yeah it reminds me a lot of like election in that way where it's satire it also has its moments of complete earnestness but it also is slightly outdated like election definitely resonated with me during the 2016 election but there are moments in there where you're like this isn't holding up for me do you know what i mean yeah no i think election is a totally different kind of i think it that's much (laughs) smarter like than this isn't like it's not trying to be like super it's not trying to be like that cutting it's like but it does has these satirical elements especially with christine baranski who's like at once you know she she is that kind of caricature of like an upper middle class like um uh uh liberal you know in that like she's I mean, she's wearing the same suit, the same Chanel suit that Bunny wears in Sex and the City. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, and it's the same kind of, uh, it's the same kind of like satirical look at someone who's saying like, you know, uh, who's obviously racist, but then saying, yes. you know, like, oh, we gave money to Colin Powell, like as an excuse uh, for her racism. Yeah. Like, it, and the movie does have those elements, but so much of it is like not as forward thinking and like well it's cynical about people that are trying to present a good face which is very new york and also of the teens i've met who were raised in manhattan no offense to anyone (laughs) listening to this who was not that off the ball i mean yeah i i would agree with that i so we didn't even talk about her yet but uh it's weird. So Reese Witherspoon is clearly one of the most successful people from this movie, um, who at the time wasn't really famous or that famous. Um, but all of the scenes with her and Sebastian for me are really flat. Um, there was no chemistry there whatsoever, which is weird because they were dating at that time. They were boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh my God, you're right. Uh, because I think the problem is, and, and I said this when I was watching it, I think the problem lies in, in the 90s, we had these white, rich people who were moderately well-adjusted, like <laughs> they were functional at least, if they were alcoholics, they were functional alcoholics, kind of, and in order to motivate them to act out of character and spur on conflict, we had to have a bet, but that's not really a great motivation for anybody to like emotionally change or grow, so these scenes are kind of flat because neither of them are mo- are that motivated to find the good in the other, like she's not really seeing him in any light that would actually make her attracted to him and he's not really seeing anything about her that would spur a huge change we're just supposed to buy into that as a plot like like a like a suspension of disbelief that these people fell for each other and they don't really sell it to us cuz 
because they're so busy with the sex and the quips and a lot of like twists and turns, which I love. And that's the focus of the movie. But I think it's the reason why those scenes don't really work for me. It would take like extraordinarily on screen chemistry, like Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan style yeah. chemistry for me to be like, okay, I buy it. They're completely in love. Yes. And these yes, people I are just a little too young yeah. to pull that out. Yeah. And that I mean? is like, I, I, and it was something that I only noticed watching it um, today. She is granted no interiority to, like, at all throughout the entire film. Like, you are told how she feels, but really, like, she only starts to begin to act interested in Sebastian because yeah. the script w- requires her to, in the same way that he only has his change of heart because the script requires I mean- him to. Yeah, like if this is Kingdom Hearts with all its plot twists and complete nonsense, she's like Kyrie, who's just like pretty and in like a light color in there. And and that's like enough because she's Reese Witherspoon. But if anybody right. else had played this role, it wouldn't I don't even think the whole movie would have worked. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Several jumps in logic you have to make for plot points. The the one that stuck out to me weirdly the most is like, okay, so he thinks he thinks Greg Gregory wrote this letter to her, right? Mm-hmm. But then when she's like getting in the pool, she quotes the letter to him, like, like, oh, this was my favorite part, like word for word of the, uh, and word for word quotes it to him, and it is like the most like, like illustrious like use of like language. It's like, it, it sounds like the source material that this film came from. It sounds like something out of Dangerous Liaisons, and like I was like, wait, so you think the football player guy wrote? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that. There's four people in the world that could have written that letter, and one of them is Christine Bransky. Like, put the pieces together, <laughs> you little <laughs> Well, and I also think, no hate on Ryan Felipe, he's gorgeous. And especially back then, he was like total 1999. I mean, his eyelashes are as long as Sarah Michelle Gellar's, and that is saying something. Yeah, and his lips are beautiful, and his ass is... Oh my is... god, Naomi Smalls is somewhere, like, getting a nosebleed. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think he's slightly less fun to watch when he's pretending than Sam... Like, Sam Rashad Geller really goes for it. Like, she's chewing scenery yeah. as well. So when she's pretending, you see that she hates doing it. But Ryan Felipe feels like he's just acting, right? It doesn't feel like there's much of a difference between when he's being good and sweet to uh, Reese Witherspoon. I mean, the reason he got this role, I think, and this isn't a knock against him, but it's like his curly hair and his ass because his performance is really muddled. Like, it's really hard to act that you're acting yes. like convincingly and in earnest. And I feel like like that speaks to what a good actress Sarah Michelle Gellar is. <laughs> and it's not really a knock against him. It's just like to compare the yeah. two is really not fair to him. <laughs> but also Catherine is just a much more interesting character to watch and for a, an actor to play, I think, than Sebastian. Yeah. I, I think that oh, the yeah. layers with her are real, whereas with him, it's just like, oh, the plot requires me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Right. Because her redeeming moments, the moments where you see that she might actually be hurting by what she's doing, uh, but like the cocaine is driving her forward. Like there's a couple <laughs> moments in the plot. You you get you just get a taste of it, but it's so much more convincing than like the overwrought, like backbending explaining to the audience that they have to do for his character yes. where they're just like, oh, he's conflicted. Now he's running here. Now he's there. Now he's crying in his room alone. It's just a little too much. Like if they had gone for a subtler touch, I think it would have been easier for him and also sold it better for us. But teenage, this is a film for teenagers. Yes, so. So, so what? Who cares? Right. Like they're all hot. So yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and was was the pairing of them at all like. I assumed it's like tied to I know what you did last summer. Yeah, the producer of this movie was yeah. the producer of it's I know you what you did last yeah. summer. 
Yeah, and that makes sense because it's like, you know, this like, you know, we're pairing these two kids together again kind of yeah, yeah. mentality. and Like, I could see like some executive being like, well, they worked in that movie. Let's... I mean, the the wink to it is when she pulls out the Seventeen magazine and Jennifer Love Hewitt is on the cover. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, I already know how to leave menstrual strength cramps. Thank you. It was probably really hard for them to find a teen magazine that Sarah Michelle Gellar was not on the cover of. (laughs) That's true, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so while we're talking about Ryan Felipe, um, can we talk about how wonderful his ass looks in that scene? Good lord. Oh my god. Oh <laughs> that, my is god. The, that is the moment I became the gay that you see you, you see before you today. <laughs> I remember watching um both Power Rangers and this was age appropriate at the time, the boy that Casper turns into at the end of Casper and being like, something's different. And then I saw that ass and I was like, oh, I know what it is. <laughs> I wore out my VHS rewinding that like two second shot over and over and over again. I don't want to move on from it. Let's come back to the ass for a second. But the best moment is when Reese Witherspoon in her one piece gets up and shows off just very subtly that she has an even more perfect ass (laughs) as she leaves the room. (laughs) What a flex. Um, Everything about that scene is so ridiculous, right? Because like, I don't know what she falls for, right? Because like, he's just being obnoxious. Um, I mean, fuck him. That's fine. Cause he's hot girl. I get it. But I don't see what's there, what there was really to fall for. Um, and I don't see her character continuing to swim in a pool with a guy who refuses to put swim trunks. Right. Like how he lures her there. Remember is like, he like puts the music yeah. on in like her room Yeah, and like in the pool room and she like follows the music. And I was like, what? Oh, well, I guess he does, because then he changes it to, like, the Love Fool the No Doubt song. Cardigans. No, it's Love Yeah, Fool. Cardigans. Oh, it's Love yeah. Fool. Uh, and, yeah, I guess how, like, I mean, that's, like, kind of flirty. But, like, overall, like, it, again, like, nothing he ever really does, I truly buy her character buying into. Like, they set her up as, like, she's, she is smart. Like, she yeah. is, like, a, like, a like this like kind of like well-developed um from the get-go uh kind of because of her manifesto like she is a thoughtful considerate person and so nothing he does really i could see winning her over that he does in the movie but it somehow magically works she even calls him on his very cliched attempts to woo her she's like oh um oh i love that moment that was that was fantastic actually and again it was something i only really noticed this time around like it's like he starts doing that rom-com thing of saying oh you're smart you're beautiful you're this and she's like listing my qualities is not gonna change how i feel about you but somehow yeah, she's does. like she was like i thought we could be friends but even that is like even that's like off the table at this point or whatever she says but it's funny because you can tell her acting in that scene is okay you can tell she's like a little trepidatious and i was like is this reese witherspoon acting being trepidatious or the character but then she really really sells it with that flip where she's like oh, i'm i'm determined and smart and beautiful and that is the reese witherspoon i know yes. and i was like oh this is so good <laughs> it's when she yeah the, the deter when she says determined and she juts out that just like iconic chin well oh yeah and like okay so now i'm gonna jump ahead but we'll come back but also like so the parts when she, there's like a few moments when they give her more to do like that like i think her best scene in the whole movie is her last scene with sarah michelle geller in that bathroom like I think she's doing great oh, yeah. work in that bathroom. <laughs> oh, because she's just like playing with her. Yes. And she like, knows. She is so 
in control, self-assured, and she's like fucking with her. Yep. And it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And she sells it because she did play, she doesn't play her as virginal and stupid a la Cecile, or even just like as a bright-eyed good girl. She knows what is going yes. on for most of the movie. And she even sees that Sebastian doesn't have pure intentions, but he actually has fallen for her. And I think what she gets hurt by is not him pretending that he doesn't have feelings for her towards the end what she gets hurt by is that he would pretend do you know what i mean she doesn't buy it but the fact that he even does try to trick her bothers her Mm. and i think the reason that that ending works is that we know that she's smart and she just continues to be smart and willing to do more in that last scene like she's willing to be mean now but or like i guess give someone their comeuppance which she might not have been willing to do at the beginning of the movie and but she's still the same character yeah and so that consistency is like really on yeah, point I would, yeah i would agree with that yeah I'm, so then we get we learn we meet the closeted jock um who i feel like I was like, why can't he love me back in the day? Because he was like so <laughs> dumb and like douchey. The Greg, yeah. Star. <laughs> oh my god! So I, when I when I watched this when I, I was thirteen or fourteen when this film came out, and I remember watching this, and I was going to an old boys' school at the time, and I was Ooh. like, where is my closeted football player <laughs> who will fool around with me? You know, this is like selling me uh, the 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 trashy life I want, and I'm just not getting it. <laughs> i mean yeah same <laughs> Just, it, for like a lot of people it was like it was like the first little taste of this film specifically it was like the first little taste of like one like a little bit more like overt like sexual content for many people like experiencing yeah. and then the other thing is especially for queer people like it, it was the first time like i think maybe i saw like kind of like a gay character in like this kind of setting um so I, I think for a lot of people, this is a movie you could trace back to of like maybe starting to figure out yeah, yourself in some way or like where you were in the scheme of things. Well, I do like that, uh, like a lot of gay icon stuff, it is a power fantasy for fans <laughs> or people that don't um, traditionally have that kind of power and might end up being coerced, but they're actually doing the coercing kind of a thing. And I will say that it, I did actually get to live my football player when I was in high school and giving me the perspective of being like, this person is super fucked up and I just have to like use them for what I want. Like it's not healthy, but it is a step in self-actualization and like, I guess compartmentalization. And I do like that the movie, like, like living your cruel intentions fantasy in real life is a very bad idea, but the power fantasy or like the um, control thing or the, that there's other kinds of power than just, masculine power is sort of important it's like a mixed bag i guess from that by representation or empowerment perspective yeah but i do love that the joshua jackson character is shown as taking real joy from this and he's not like punished for it in any way yeah it's like an agency thing yes yeah yeah he's he's uh i mean and, and it's easier to to let you know the side characters have that kind of fun without consequence because that it's not their story and they're just there to you know move the plot forward and to add you know a few zingy lines but it is very nice and it that illustrates he... why our main characters think that they won't have consequences because if the side characters don't in this universe why would they right you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh yeah so i i mean i still love i i wish joshua jackson was in this movie more i think he him and christine baranti deserved more scenes in this movie <laughs> That Dawson, that Dawson Creek shooting schedule. Yeah. Right <laughs> That's why I wonder if like, because all of them were like 
except for like Ryan Felipe and Reese Witherspoon, all of them were on like shows. So I wonder if they like worked around the fact that everyone was like working on a TV show at the time. Um, so then we get the, oh, sis, you're so tense massage uh, scene and they give each other blue balls. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> which oh. is like, I mean, I, bananas. <laughs> but also it's the most like late night softcore movie where like, when you look at the way their bodies are positioned, it's like, nothing is touching anything there. Like, yeah. he's like, all I know, could think was like, they're both getting like road rash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She is like grinding her ass like on the carpet, like a dog with worms. You know, that's nowhere near his crotch. <laughs> I I put in my notes. I wonder if Sam Geller ever sees his thirst traps that he like posts on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, and is like, I gave him a fake half hand job in a movie where he oh, played I bet she has like a sock puppet account for that kind of thing. Like, I would totally be like, yeah, I got to pretend give him a hand job. <laughs> you see how hot he is? Because <laughs> also, can we talk about how well he's aged? Because oh boy, oh oh, I mean, oh, kind of the oh, whole yeah. cast. That's true. I mean, from Christine yeah. Baranski on down, everybody looks great. That's true. <laughs> yeah, no one looks bad. Yeah, like we yeah, could get I'll... the gang back together. I want one of those yeah. reu- one of those reunion photo shoots like they just did with my best friend's wedding. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And everyone I feel like Entertainment Weekly would be up for doing that with this movie too though cuz they love this kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. They know their and, audience. Like, we Yeah, we would all love it too. So great. <laughs> um and this year is the 20th. Oh, this year. Hey, I just realized that because this came out in 99, this year is the 20th anniversary of this movie. Oh, that's right. Which, Jesus Christ, I feel yeah, old. No, let's move on from that topic. <laughs> <laughs> so Christine Baranci delivers the wonderful line of, don't give me any of that racist crap. My husband and I gave money to Colin Powell, <laughs> so which good. is I, I don't. Perfect. I don't get that reference. He ran for president? At one I kind point, of, I, think that's I, probably... I assume that's that's what it was, but I mean, I was I was twelve at the time, so he's a notorious Republican. So if you were to give money to like a black candidate, it's kind of the one that you're like, okay, so you gave money yeah, to yeah. like oh, uh, like my conservative my, like, my conservative great. grandparents loved him, so like okay <laughs> oh I, okay so that yeah that that fits so so well with her character where she's like she doesn't differentiate between like black people having different politics she's like i gave money to this right. black guy so you should shut up yeah, right, okay, yeah. right. Yes. right which is like the okay. they're kind of again like the satirical <laughs> yeah. element of the characters um i mean when she's like i pulled you off of the streets and he's like yeah. i live at 59th and bar <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like he's going to juilliard what is she talking about <laughs> <laughs> that's why see that's why it's like oh but the movie's like in on it but like what is going on but they're in on it because they have her say this racist shit and he's like uh excuse me I'm yeah. also rich. Like I live in a nice area. Um, but yeah, then it does some weird things. Um, so, and then, I mean, Philip, you already quoted it, but <laughs> Roland emails for geeks and pedophiles is such a like very 1999 quote. Yeah. This internet thing isn't, <laughs> isn't ever going to take off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all flipping their Motorola star tax and dialing yeah. like crazy, but God forbid they send an email. <laughs> also, oh, speaking of that, I wanted to point out when, Ryan Felipe is on the phone when Sebastian's on the phone with uh, Greg. He's on his flip phone with the in a convertible car driving on a highway with the top down. How would anyone hear anyone? Right? That's what you had an issue with in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you felt was unbelievable or you couldn't buy that? <laughs> well, but, 
this is like when Ian has scheduling problems with how fast Buffy got places, but he's totally bought in on the magic and vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. <laughs> so then we get Catherine delivering. It's like a, I feel like it's a feminist quote, but it's undercut by the fact that she's um, doing all this to destroy a girl's life just because her ex-boyfriend liked him, liked her. Um, but I wanted to read her little like a uh, monologue she gives to Sebastian where she says, eat me, Sebastian. It's all right for you to fuck everyone, but because I'm a girl, it's wrong. Well, let me tell you something. I didn't ask to be a girl. Do you think I relish the fact that I have to act like Mary Sunshine 24-7 so I can be considered a lady? Do you think I like I take great delight when I hear, Catherine is so wonderful. Catherine's a model child. Catherine is doing an, going to make an excellent wife one day. I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. No, I don't enjoy being a part of the weaker sex. For that reason, everyone around me is going to suffer. So there's your psychoanalyst, Dr. Fra- Dr. Freud. Now are you are you in or are you out? I just think that is like so good. <laughs> And it, I, I think that it is a, a feminist monologue in that this is a woman who has absolutely recognised how unfair the power structure that she lives in is. And so she's just finding any way she can to work it to her own advantage. Yeah, it's hard to judge her because, I mean, also as a teenager with obviously drug addic- drug addiction problems, her parents are splitting up. Like what she does is sociopathic and awful, but... As someone who's trying to get some agency in the world and stuff, I'm not giving her a pass, but it does make her more up more of a less dislikable character. Not that I think likability yeah. is like the most important thing, but it does add like it, some it adds a layer to her. Also, yeah. love the Mary Sunshine call out because that's Christine Baranski's character. Get out. Yeah. Oh my god, really? <laughs> but I do feel like it it's an extra layer, right? Like so like she's she's not so one dimensional as like kind of like this villain in this story however i think again this like leans into like the fact that the film while having this like kind of satirical bend and like kind of like wanting to um you know flip some um some like kind of like accepted tropes like very much is also like invested in those tropes and like is not as like forward thinking as it may think it is but i I don't know. I do find that speech always like, and because when I was a kid, like that kind of went over my head and now it's like, I can understand what they were trying to say a lot better, but I don't know. I I mean, it's a step up from Sarah Michelle Gellar's history on soap operas in a feminist perspective, because it's not like evil sex woman is evil sex woman or like very like Dallas or like, you know, uh, like that 80s sort of Susan Lucci thing. It is a step up from that, but we're not quite there yet. Do you know what I mean? I yeah so what I liked about this uh revisiting it was it sort of takes that like virgin whore binary that is you know omnipresent and and which even like in within Buffy they kind of explore that with with the Buffy and Faith um characters but it sort of it does at least acknowledge that there are shades of gray and nuances in between those two so like um Annette as the virgin who is introduced um you know she's waiting till marriage and all that and then she falls in love and she becomes sexually liberated in her own way. And Catherine is exploring pleasure in her own way as well. And it's not just that, Oh, she's evil and corruptive evil, although she is. Um, but it's also, she's, she's just doing whatever she can to, to, you know, in, in the system that she's living in. And so it's sort of, it's not, it's not just saying, Oh yeah, like you could be one or the other. It's sort of acknowledging that like, it's kind of, it's, it's fucked up to think of, of, of women as 
solely one or solely the other. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Yeah, that was um, that was very well said, and I kind of wish the film more eloquently explored that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I write my review, yes. um, it'll all be there. <laughs> I also so I also put in all caps. What the hell age is everyone supposed to be? Because Selma Blair is going into high school, right? Her character, and Sebastian says he's a fifth year senior. So he's so like he, eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. And I mean, a 14 year old. It's not. It's, oh. Cecile just comes off as like nine, right? Like, is she? I, I, I think she's meant to be like super annoying, right? Um, but yes, she's. It's, yeah. it's kind of like just to compare it to Buffy again. It's like she's written like Dawn was introduced as fourteen, but she was written yes. like a twelve year old. But it's like right. this guy is blackmailing this character into going down on her. It's super molesting. It's, yeah, it's real messed up. Yeah, <laughs> yes. and, and and it's really weird because we're also in the era of like teenagers are adults like thanks a lot 90210 like teenagers are adults and adults can play teenagers yeah <laughs> you don't see sebastian or um or Catherine's parents until the funeral at the end like some supervision could have put an end to all of this <laughs> yeah fun fact in the in the sequel mimi rogers plays the mom <laughs> oh wow oh, of course <laughs> the, the thing about cecile that's interesting to me is like they like kind of maybe went like a little overboard and like her naivete but like the reason that they did, I feel like, is because the character from Dangerous Liaison she is based on is supposed to be just introduced to, like, society. Like, she, like, grew up, like, in a convent. Oh. So she's like, I know absolutely nothing. It's, like, her kind of uh, overall demeanor. And I mean, to, like, change that story and, like, be, like, amongst the upper crust high schoolers in, like, Manhattan, like, I guess they just decided to make her, like, as juvenile as possible. But then, like, on this rewatch of you know preparing for today i was like oh you were right philip i was like this is like real gross yeah. like in yeah. a way that like i'm like it's not entertaining it's like actually super uncomfortable um and that's not to knock Selma blair i think she does a great job it's just like the way that oh and she i think she makes the character funny but like it's just a problem exactly yeah problem, yeah <laughs> it is completely are you kidding yeah when she's like do you want a blow job it's such a good line her delivery is great I, oh, I, I, <laughs> oh but i do love that after she has sex and then she calls she goes oh what a prude uh, because it is the thing about being a teenager that the first couple times you have sex you're like i know everything i'm a dominatrix <laughs> oh, she's like, i like it when i'm on top i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. eat cherries off the stems yeah yeah we're all doing our kim cattrall <laughs> <laughs> I was doing Trinity doing him. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Real quick, a few wrap up things uh, before we discuss the end, because the end is so good. I love Ryan Felipe's telling Sam Richard Geller, the only thing you're going to be writing is me is like a lot, but also like a lot. <laughs> is that one of those things that you gift, but just for yourself and your own private use? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for special uses. Um <laughs> His pouty lips when he tells Reese Witherspoon, I'm sorry, I can't, when he like uh, gets nervous about having sex with her, which for me completely didn't track with his, like, I feel like then he'd be like, oh yeah, I finally get to have sex that's like uh, involving love because blah, blah, blah. Like it felt like that's, he should have wanted to do that, but then he, but his lips are very pouty and whew, he's looking good. Um, I, I, I did find myself tuning out of like the dialogue and just sort of looking at the beautiful Baroque wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> in a few of these scenes um, <laughs> like they have taken the dangerous liaison set and just put like beautiful 90s teenagers on, into it <laughs> yes well i oh. will say having been in some upper east side apartments i was like Accurate. 
<laughs> well, is that it gorgeous is, Prussian blue bedroom that Catherine has? Is it yeah. the building they use? The same building that's in uh um the first wives club that's like across the street from the Met. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, that's that because yeah. So I'm pretty sure when I because I worked at the Met one summer, which was horrendous, and every time I walked by, I'd be like, "Oh, that's that building from Cruel Intentions." Mm. <laughs> oh, so the morals of this movie, I feel like I wanted to discuss that. The morals are like completely thrown out the window, and I'm not quite sure what, like, like we said, they're very aware, but then not with some things. I don't know what the like what they're getting at. What's the lesson learned here? Like, I'm not quite sure what that because like then they do have sex, you know, they play colorblind by Counting Crows. Um, well, I mean, I feel like they had to, they had to make the, like the end of this film, right? Like the kind of quote unquote, like lesson learned, they like had to kind of manufacture one because Dangerous Liaisons ends poorly for everyone involved. There is no okay. like redeeming, like, it, cause it ends with, it ends in the same way that like the character um, that is, de- that was having an affair with Cecile duels sebastian um he kills sebastian um but at that point the reese witherspoon character who's played by michelle pfeiffer in the 1988 movie she um she's like so guilt-ridden over having sex with him that she like is really ill and close to death at a convent and then cecile (laughs) cecile is so guilt-ridden by everything that happens that she goes back to a convent and becomes a nun and then um her letters get published um uh the um the glenn close sarah michelle geller character her letters get published and she's also like shunned it's the same ending she gets shunned by society but like there is no no one prevails in the end really it's like the original lesson of this is like if you manipulate and use other people especially in this like sexual way like it will eventually lead to like you know uh ruined reputations for all and that's kind of the point of the dangerous liaisons of this i felt like because it's like a 90s teen film they had to like tack on a uh you know a little bit more of like an optimistic ending or like uplifting ending um which i don't yeah. well i mean the original ending of this was that um so what was going to happen was that reese witherspoon was going to use the the diary to blackmail Catherine and like she implies that she's going to do all the things to Catherine and like make her do all this horrible stuff and that that was the ending which is like I guess fits with the cynicism throughout Mm -hmm. the movie but I actually like that what it ends up saying is that like you can employ employ like methods or you can be um savvy or not necessarily employ methods but you can be savvy and and you can understand the realities of the world that they're living in without making it make you into a terrible person Mm -hmm. because at the end i mean all Catherine really does is like what the horrible things she's doing to people gets outed and stopped and then she's probably being sent to rehab and that beautiful like opening the cross with the coke homage to glenn close's coke scene in the original um it, it, it i kind of like that that's there because it does tell us that like you can't walk away with this with without getting some blood on your hands but it doesn't have to like everyone doesn't have to be a horrible person right but it is a little bit like like i mean the, the moment that it really was tough for me to buy was that like the manifesto being passed out at the funeral and everyone getting up and running out and then there's like papers flying and like her parents <laughs> open the necklace right there in front of everyone like a lot of that was a little bit over yeah. the top and how did reese witherspoon get the um get the uh the papers for that car uh, unclear <laughs> but like the pink slip definitely wasn't handed over but i feel like it, for a 90s movie of the available options for this movie to end I mean, 
I'm glad that Ryan Felipe died and that like Reese Witherspoon isn't going to spend the rest of her life regretting hooking mm-hmm. up with this like guy who's going to fuck her up. He just kind of <laughs> taught her some lessons and she gets to go on or whatever with her cool sunglasses. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I would say though, like you also did forget to mention my favorite part of, um, of this last sequence, which is um, the, uh, the disappointed looking students. Oh my god! Oh, the concepts of the two kids like subtly shaking their heads and being like, "Wow, wrong, bad." <laughs> so, <laughs> so wait before before we finish talking about this end because I I I have a lot to say about the end. Um, we missed a part that I just wanted to mention: Samuel Schuyler yelling the escalator. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that seems really good too. When because it's like the Adams family we- waiting for him at the. <laughs> We have all done that escalator reveal thing. Oh, the, like, oh the, I was sitting in the elevator when uh, Ronald... Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so that scene, um, the Samuel Gallery yelling, I want to fuck, and then throwing glass against the wall. So, so good. good. It, it me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I... The, like... The t- turn where we find Catherine's been manipulating Sebastian the whole time doesn't quite track, uh, because there's no way she could have known that he would have actually fallen in love with her. I feel like she had to have switched wheels at some point. Right. Yeah. I very much bought that, that she was like, saw her opening to like be mean to him or continue being cruel as a defense mechanism for her own feelings gives him this like very cutting speech so that she can feel like she's winning or like, or like to have some kind of power, but that it wasn't planned and that it actually really hurts her because like when he leaves, she looks really in pain, but that monologue is like so devastating. I really want to read it. (laughs) (laughs) um i also so then i i oh um when he gets hit by the car i remember someone so we i remember watching this on vhs in my parents basement with like some high school friends and i remember someone had brought their older brother who was like because a lot of my friends i hung out with were like the punk kids quote unquote and like his like older crust punk brother who was like in a band and him being like, Oh please, they're not going to kill the guy in a movie like this. They don't kill the main character. He was like, it's so obvious he's not dead. And then cut to the funeral fucking scene. And I felt very good about myself. (laughs) Um, You were like, there's layers here, bitch. Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) Samuel Geller can say faggot. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that bathroom scene because I really love that bathroom scene where like, they're both, like playing each other but reese is just winning like her character's winning (laughs) i love that Catherine and annette don't meet until right at the end of the film Mm -hmm. yeah which you don't like think about important yeah Yeah. um yeah because like you don't think about that part of the movie that like Catherine's mostly just like vamping around her bedroom for the movie (laughs) (laughs) she's just there in like in in a in a you know in in, in lingerie drinking champagne and just like throwing glasses at at doors living your best life philip (laughs) like yeah just like in bed in her pearls and her heels I mean, really, who needs to be held accountable in this scenario is Mei Lee, who did not call the authorities about this agoraphobic nymphomaniac. (laughs) (laughs) Also, can we just say something I I only noticed again watching it this week? Um, Catherine has a framed photo of herself in her bedroom. Oh my god, does she? (laughs) Well, either it's like a photo of a woman with dark hair who's supposed to be her mother, but I think her mum's blonde at the end of the film. I I choose to think that Catherine just has like an 8 by 10 of herself on her bedside table. (laughs) Of the ways that Catherine's character crosses over with Donald Trump, I'll take it. (laughs) 
um, so yeah, so we get, and then I love a comeuppance. I love a good comeuppance. And genuinely, this ending is this and Jawbreaker are my two favorite movie comeuppances. Like, I think it's such a good ending. Um, like, I don't know that the entire movie holds up, but I think this ending is still fucking perfect. Mo- uh, due to everything, right? The writing, the acting, the bittersweet symphony. Uh, there's never a moment that I don't think of this ending when I hear that song. Oh, did oh, you? Yeah. Um, so, do any? Does anyone here watch the glorious train wreck that is Riverdale? Heard of it? Because there is a scene set in a church where somebody says, um, "Yeah, I really want to sing bittersweet symphony from the cool in- from the cruel intentions soundtrack." <laughs> so, there is a whole generation of people who like that's their association with that <laughs> song, and I'm I'm happy about that. <laughs> um, I just. You know, when she's giving this speech and she's like, what is wrong with you people? Don't you have any respect? And then walks out and Selma Blair hands her that notebook and gives her the shittiest smile. It's, uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. I mean, I, I, that final scene is iconic. I, I absolutely agree. But who marches into a memorial service to start spreading Yeah, that's gossip the part comforts? that I just can't, like... Like it, people would have waited for it to be over because at the end of the day, her brother is dead. And I don't think that like, I think they would have been like, well, let her finish talking. <laughs> but also, also it's the middle of the school day. Where exactly is Reese Witherspoon driving um, off to? Yeah. She's going to find her football fuck to apologize. Like she, she goes, she, <laughs> she, she goes into the bathroom. She fucks with Catherine for a minute. And then she's like, right, I'm off to have a successful movie star career. She just wanted to go for it because the, the, the car is so important. The car was. Uh, I like that. to believe she's just leaving a hair appointment because her hair is so conditioned in that last scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, with the wind in her hair, but also it creates that lovely. And I'm a sucker for like symmetry. Yeah. And you have the same opening and ending with the the, the car on the highway, yeah. and it's so I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. But I'm just like, <laughs> where I want to know where she's going. I I mean, I love it. I like. I there's there's been moments when I've like just watched this ending because I just really like a like movie where like you can it's enjoyable but also it's leading up to like a big finish. I love a big finish. You and Catherine both. <laughs> um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, I want to fuck Carlos Crawford. <laughs> I love that um Catherine looks like a little girl and um Annette looks like a grown woman at the end, which is the yes. flip of what we get at the top. And I really like the idea that Annette is driving out to um, Sebastian's aunt's house to just get the rest of the belongings she could steal and sell. Like, she's got the car, (laughs) the journal, the sunglasses. She's just going to see what other, like, cashmere sweaters he left around turtlenecks that she could just, like, hawk on the newly founded eBay. (laughs) (laughs) Newly founded eBay. (laughs) The Coke rosary really does it for me. I don't know why. I'm just like... I love it. Iconic. Iconic. Like, absolutely. It's just just like, it's, you know, it's Sarah Michelle Gellar and elaborate cross necklaces. It was like part of her contract in the 90s, I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's like like, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker in shoes. They were like, listen, (laughs) we're not breaking the brand for you, First Wives Club. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, now that we're at the end, um, why don't we discuss... Our favorite outfits. Um, Alex, would you like to go first? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, there's so many. There's so many in this film, but for me, the two like most essential ones are 
when okay after he breaks up with Reese Witherspoon and he breaks up with Annette and he goes back and surprises her in her room she has on that like metallic like uh, like kind of like metal tone like ensemble like with the kind of sheer shirt yeah the sheer shirt and the bra (laughs) Yes. yes okay that that and then on the other side of the spectrum when uh when they go for the day to um, to the um, to the, the retirement community to volunteer, and Reese Witherspoon is in the all white outfit, but also her nails perfectly match like totally like her outfit, and like because huh, when she holds right. his hand and it's like that zoom in on her nails, that was always to me. I was like, I don't know. I'm a I listen. I'm a sucker for a monochromatic scheme. Both of those. I was like. <laughs> living for no listen in the 2019 reboot annette wears for the entire run of the film ballet slipper that's what she's wearing (laughs) on her nails (laughs) um ryan what's what was your what were some of your favorite outfits i love the sheer top with the bra i love the um suit with the corset under it at the beginning that's amazing um, but I think the best outfits for me, the, I, I mean, like shout out to the Red Riding Hood homage, all of that. But, <laughs> but the best outfit moment for me are in the park when she's got the sweater over. That's the most iconic, like Catherine's in all black in the middle of Central Park, but she has that sweater over it. So she's like, well, I look like a normal human. <laughs> <laughs> that and the um, the bunny from Sex and the City Chanel pink suit that Christine Baranski wears, that it just says like Upper East Side 90s to me in a way that nothing ever will. And it's so great. It's it's just great. Uh, Philip? <laughs> it's gonna have to be the the scene, the outfit from the very first scene that Sarah was wearing. The um, the suit with the lingerie underneath. Um, and just the way that the minute she's, like, not performing anymore, she unbuttons the suit yeah. and, like, lounges back. And it's like, oh, there's, like, a... La- the- it's a- it's an outfit that tells a story. And who doesn't love that? <laughs> Philip, I love that. Because same, yeah, the... The corset really, I, I love a lot of her looks, but the corset really does it for me. Um, I had that movie I poster. I love that this move definitely had the same costume designer as Bedazzled. <laughs> like, you just wrote a blank check and said, go to town. Oh my God, you're absolutely right. I, now I, that is an expanded cinematic universe I want. <laughs> I had the, Sarah Michelle Gellar is the devil. I had the <laughs> movie poster of this on my wall in my bedroom for the longest time. And like, Samurai Geller looks fantastic. In the movie poster, she's wearing the corset with the, like, the beige top. I just love it. Um, all right, so favorite moment. Philip? Um, I think it's going to have to be the monologue that Catherine delivers about um, being the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side because it's it's really... It's, probably, it's maybe the smartest... I mean, it's a film full of really smart dialogue and, and, and fun zingers, but I think it's the smartest writing in the movie in terms of illum- illuminating who Catherine is and why she is the way she is. Um, so it would be it would be that or um, the other scene where she is sort of actually revealing that she's a little bit jealous and she says, you love Annette, you don't love me anymore. And you're like, oh, fuck, does, she, does this bitch actually have feelings? Okay. So I think it's going to be a toss-up between those two for me. Okay. Um Alex? Oh, I I mean, I have to go with kind of like the ending. I just feel like it's so, it it, it is like a specific cultural moment. And I think it's a touchstone for a lot of people our age. I think it, it it is like, you're right. It is synonymous with uh, Bittersweet Symphony. Um, 
And I don't know. It's like when I thought about this, I haven't watched this movie in years. When I thought about this movie, the thing that came back to me so clearly and not even so clearly, probably like I embellished how, how dramatic it was in my head. Like rewatching it now, I'm like, oh, this seems a little bit more quaint than how I remembered it when I watched it as a kid, which was like, it was like the most dramatic thing I've ever seen. Like I kind of seem to remember for some reason, like, like a closer, like kind of zoom in on the cocaine flowing out of her, uh, out of her, um, out of her necklace. And I, I, I kind of uh, remember it in a lot more grandeur than it actually was just because I think that ending is so iconic. And then it's funny watching the rest of the film being like, yikes, like about some of it and like, be, and seeing how like kind of dated it is, but the ending to me holds up as iconic. Ryan, what's your favorite moment? <laughs> I'm going to perform it for you. Great. <laughs> Yay! Silly rabbit, my triumph isn't over her. It's over you. You were very much in love with her, and you're still in love with her. But it amused me to make you ashamed of it. You gave up on the first person you ever loved because I threatened your reputation. Don't you get it? You're just a toy, Sebastian. A little toy I like to play with. And now you've completely blown it with her. And I think it's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Mm, it tastes good so i have assumed that you've come here to make arrangements but unfortunately i don't fuck losers <laughs> amazing i watched it a thousand times so great queen of evil like let her let her tear through disney princesses like why is Sarah michelle geller not in every single movie ever made Oh, it's the mm, taste good. Like, I, that, that's that's so you were just saying, um, uh, Ryan, that, that the uh, the ending is what you remember, and that for, for me, it's um, I it's the mm, taste good. That's the first thing that comes into my head when I think of this movie. See, I always think of the very quietly muttered but very sincerely delivered. I don't fuck losers, which was like <laughs> such a dig and like. It, it it's such a power move to put her on like a, a pedestal above him when they've spent the whole movie, like sort of as like twin stars, like, yeah. like, a, like, a um, what's it called when two people are more insane together? Folia do. Folia do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to make it clear that like, no, I'm a complete psychopath and you're just like a <laughs> lower level bad person. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so mine is also the end because, that end ooh, just does it for me. I love it. I feel like I always want every end to be everything coming together for someone to really fucking get it. Um, and that like comes out of my love of this movie and Jawbreaker and Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, like I love like being built up to like this villain and then they like get it. Or if the villain like completely gets away with it and everyone else fucking gets it. Those are the two endings that I kind of love for everything. Because <laughs> um, I never care about a romance plot. So I'm like, great. Yeah, let the one die. And then she's fine. She drives off in her car all happy. A great end to a romance plot. <laughs> I mean, that's for real. The heterosexual relationships in this film are the least important components. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the incest one is way more interesting. <laughs> Like the incest one, the the relationship between you know um, Joshua Jackson and his football player buddy, the relationship between just uh, Christine Baranski and that suit, Susie <laughs> uh, uh, Kurtz and her book. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I would I would go to like her like TED talk that she's like on this conference circuit plugging that parenting done right book <laughs> when she's like doesn't even want to pick up the phone to her own daughter. <laughs> um. All right, so now we'll grade the movie. Um, Philip, what grade do you give this movie? 
So my teen self gave it an A plus plus plus, and I I I think I mean I still have so much fondness for it just because it made me gay. Um, <laughs> but I I think it's gonna have to to go down to a, a B plus because it's okay. still the performances are still great. Uh, the 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 writing in a lot of places is still fantastic, but it's just it's it's been twenty years. It the, the world has moved <sighs> on, so it's it's just not quite the the perfect thing that it was to me as a very naive teenager as well it did also give me maybe a bit of a warped view on what sex and relationships are really like (laughs) alex uh i'm thinking along the same lines in that like this was a movie that like i kind of maybe like watched over and over again on dvd when i was a kid that now re-watching it i was like oh this is just like some of the elements hold up um but like overall like this movie which i think came out guns blazing as like very forward thinking for its moment um doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily like it hasn't grown well or like aged well and i think it's like very like of its time and in a way that's like i mean like a movie like let's say heathers is like also very much of its time but um had elements of it that were so forward thinking and I mean, I love my dead gay son. Yeah, and, the, sat- and the satire is so you know like on point that like even today like it, it some of it still feels fresh and like really like strong. This felt to me like it was just more of like I don't know. It's kind of like someone maybe you were like infatuated with in high school. And now you look back and you're like, oh, I totally see why I was infatuated with this person. But like, <laughs> it has. <laughs> Thank God I dodged that. Bullet. Yeah, like I'm not like you know I, it's not necessarily something to stand over. So what grade did you give it? Oh, grade? <laughs> I had to give it like an actual grade? I don't know. I would say like, you know, like a B minus. Like, I don't know. All right. That's fair. Uh, Ryan? I think the problem with being edgy is that you get to do more in your time, but you'll like age worse, which is always a problem with stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. that's edgy. Like Daria, I think, suffers from the same thing of being like mm. really sharp for its time. And then like years later, you're like, God, did we have to do the Tom plot? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'll say this. I, I think at the time I would have said it's an A plus for teenagers and a B for adults. And nowadays I think I would flop it. I think like teenagers don't understand the politics of this or like why it's problematic or like they, they will digest it in a way that will become part of them that I don't want. So I would give it like a B for teens, but an A plus for adults because it is cam, it is over the top. You will laugh, you will you will sigh, you will shake your head, you will walk away planning tomorrow's outfit. It is like a full romp. You get Christine Baranski like like doing the full Christine Baranski. Sarah Michelle Gellar is at like not that she's at the height of her powers because she constantly becomes a better actress, but it was the first moment she was really my supreme. Uh, and I'll say like, I would give it an A plus because adults, I think will understand the problematic parts and appreciate it for what it is. Uh, but if you're a teenager out there, it's a B and please do some follow-up work about like, re- please read some Tumblr critiques of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so funny that you just say you, you, you link Sarah Mashagella as a Supreme and it's not just the all black outfits, right? There is like real power there. Um, but I'm just thinking now, oh my god, did Ryan Murphy watch this movie? And then he's been writing this character for Emma Roberts ever since. <laughs> Emma Roberts wishes she had that range. Well, this yeah. is, I, mean, I mean, this is like Ryan Murphy is trying to write right. this. Yeah. Yeah. Know, yeah. Ryan like... Murphy saw he saw the outfit in the Bloomingdale's window and he was like, I have a Marshall's budget. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like what you order online versus what it looks when it arrives, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Marshall's budget. Um, yeah, so 
I kind of agree with what everyone said. I would give it a flat B. Like, I think it's still enjoyable, but it has a lot of problems, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah. Thank you all for joining me. I want everyone to know that everyone agreed to do this super last minute because I figured, why not put out a Valentine's Day episode about, I was like, what romantic comedy should I do? And I was like, eh, let's just do Cruel Intentions because I love that movie. <laughs> Listen, Ian, wake me up in the middle of the night and make me talk about Simply Irresistible and I'm yours. (laughs) We didn't even dig into how many rom-com tropes are in this in terms of like the shenanigans and the misunderstandings and like the bet is such a rom-com plot device uh, that, oh, they have to go and do community service together at the old folks' home and it brings them closer together and it's just like... Give that woman who said, we played three games of backgammon! I won! (laughs) Oh, oh! And, and, and just, fun. just give her an Oscar. Just to dig even more, like it, to, to add racism to injury. It's like the the stereotypical sassy black nurse in that scene as oh, well. Oh God! Yeah. Oh wait! No! 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 Wait! I have to add when that sassy black nurse is introduced, super problematic. But th- the fact that she was super problematic always distracted me from. In that scene, there is an old woman watering a bird, and it's saying, <laughs> "Stop it!" <laughs> and the bird keeps saying, "Stop it! Stop it!" The bird. The bird. I remember that from when. I- like okay that scene is so bizarre and i'm glad that we're touching about it right before we leave just because the old <laughs> the older woman in it i remember her clearly that like i said i yes. only really remember the movie like in like very like no i remember that old woman's performance so clearly that when she appeared on screen i was saying everything she was saying at the same time oscar worthy oscar worthy <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that's the end of our podcast uh thank you all for listening thank you boys for joining us if you like slayer fest 98 you can find us on soundcloud itunes uh google play stitcher and other places if you like us feel free to subscribe to us and rate us and if you like us you can find slayer fest 98 on twitter at slayer fest x 98 and if you want to follow me on twitter i am at ian x carlos on all social platforms philip where can everyone find you uh, you can find me on Twitter just reciting every line from this motherfucking movie. Uh, <laughs> it's at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. And Ryan? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Ryan Houlihan. Um, I don't recommend either, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, where can everyone find you? You can find me at at Marsha Brady of the Upper West Side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at <laughs> It Gets Better. All right. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you all later. Have a happy Valentine's Day. Bye. Bye.